All right, all right. Ba 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 ba. I can hit it high. Ba 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 ba. Pew 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 pew. Oh, I love the the sound effects are actually what I love about Star Wars. Sound effects, the characters, the weapons, all that kind of stuff. Welcome to another episode of Reveal the Apologetics. I'm your host Eli Ayala, and um. Very excited to be here with two friends and fellow Star Wars nerds and some pretty not too shabby apologists. So I'm looking forward to getting into a really, really good discussion today. So why don't you guys take an opportunity to introduce yourselves, uh, tell us a little bit about your channel, what you're doing, what you're all about, and then we'll jump right into our discussion on some Star Wars and apologetics. So Tim, since he's the most hardcore, I mean... Dag, bro. Like he literally, before we went live, he literally just pulled that out from under his table. And just... <laughs> I can't compete with that. <laughs> yeah, Bra- Braxton. Braxton looks like Darth Vader after he his. <laughs> oh no, Humpty <laughs> Dumpty. It's like Luke takes off the mask and he's like, "But, but you'll die." And then he sees, <laughs> he sees the face and he goes, "Okay, we got to put the mask right back." <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Oh, yeah, there you go. Look at you guys. All right. All right. So, Tim, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your ministry, what you do, what you're all about, and uh, take it away. Well, I just got to start with this. Red 5 standing by. <laughs> Red all 7 right. standing Stay by. Stay on target. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, I can, you know, uh, one thing that's good about COVID is it allows me to wear uh, my Boba Fett mask. <laughs> but, that's awesome. Yeah, see? So, you know, it's just, I actually need to get uh, a Mandalorian helmet, a Mandalorian mask, because then I would love COVID um, because that would give me an excuse to just wear that around all the time and never take it off. So, um, yeah. So anyway, all right. Now I look more like Darth Vader myself. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, uh, my name is Tim Stratton and I uh, run freethinkingministries.com. Also have a YouTube channel called Freethinking Ministries. So. I uh, encourage people to check that stuff out. Uh, I love theology and apologetics. And whenever I have a chance to bring Star Wars into the mix and use that as illustrations to help people think about um, uh, apologetic issues or uh, theological issues, I love to do that. So I have uh, quite a bit, um, at least several articles uh, relating Star Wars to apologetics. In fact, I have one called The Apologeti. And the power of the force. So cool, man. <laughs> I, have a, I have another one uh, called 10 Reasons Why the Mandalorian is my favorite Star Wars character. And I, I do have to say, you know, I grew up with Luke Skywalker as my hero. He's still my hero. But I got to say, man, I think the Mandalorian has become my favorite Star Wars character. Well, maybe I'll talk more about that later. But just, uh, just you know, a little bit of my background or my origin story. Right before my fourth birthday, so when I was still three years old, my great-grandpa died. I didn't know anything about death at the time, and my mom tried to explain to me how he's no longer in his body, how his body, uh, we're going to bury it under the ground, but he's up in heaven. And so two weeks later, I should say I gave my life to Christ. She gave, she shared the gospel with me then. And so I gave my, la- my life to Christ, three years old, almost four. About two weeks later, Star Wars comes out. And so it made total sense to me to see Obi-Wan Kenobi get struck down, but to become more powerful than uh, 
anybody could possibly imagine. It made sense. And so I've been walking, you know, basically with Jesus and Luke Skywalker since I was four years old and Christianity and Star Wars. My parents would use Star Wars to explain things to me. In fact, one time I'll never forget my parents telling me, uh, they said, Tim, this, if you want to be a Jedi, uh, well, Christianity is actually, a Christian is actually more powerful than a Jedi. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, Tim, I think they called me Timmy at the time. Timmy, the same power that created the universe and, ra and uh, raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in you if you're a Christian. And that's much more Amen. power than a Jedi could ever have. So literally, I've been uh, uh, using, my parents have used Star Wars to help me understand theology uh, basically my whole life. And so I have a passion to do the same for others today. I don't. I don't know, Braxton. There, there, there's, there's a heresy somewhere in there. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure the super reformed folks watching they'll be like, "That is unacceptable." <laughs> well, you know, and this is, and uh, one of the things about Star Wars that uh, is interesting and kind of separates it from a show that is not entirely, but primarily focused on a naturalistic perspective, like Star Trek which mm -hmm. is instantly why Star Wars wins in which yeah. shows better. It's because Star Wars has a seemingly supernatural element, although maybe we could talk about that later, but, um, but that more adequately reflects the way the world actually is. There is a supernatural element rather than the naturalistic explain everything uh, of Star Trek. And so Star Wars not only is more like um, Christianity in at least that minor way in that it has something supernatural, but also uh, Lucas clearly borrowed from a variety of world religions. Everybody knows that. There's obviously Eastern stuff in there like the Brahmin uh, being like the Force and, and those sorts of things. But of course, at least in the prequels, we have um, what appears to be a virgin birth uh, because of the force. That's so, right. I mean, there, there's, there's I, I have to interrupt you, Tim, isn't it funny that Brax it's, it, Braxton looks like we, like we've invited a star Wars scholar. <laughs> you, I mean, you know, way too much about the background, bro. It's like, this is pretty intense right now, but, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's pretty much it. It's just, uh, you know, I've made that point many times is that one of the things I actually didn't like about the prequels and i'm a defender of the prequels i think people trash the prequels way too much and far too easily not say that there aren't parts of it that that we don't like or that we can't take issue with but um one of the things i didn't like about it uh is i think that there i think that in trying to explain the force in some kind of a naturalistic way with the midi-chlorians actually detracted from <clears throat> what was great about Star one of the great things about it, which is that there seems to be the supernatural element. It may have been you, Eli, or someone telling me something that maybe is in the expanded universe that Disney may have decided to get rid of or to keep. They seem to be willy nilly about doing that. But um, but they but but somebody told me it could be that the midi-chlorians are not actually the ones causing the power of the force, but but are simply attracted to the force mm -hmm. and therefore are strong. There's most more of them in a person who with whom the force is strong like moths on a on a flame or something but mm -hmm. um uh, I, I didn't actually introduce myself but i'm braxton hunter i run training radio and that's really all that matters i guess <laughs> after he's exercised his expertise in star wars ology he's like by the way i'm braxton <laughs> much yeah. like the mandalorian busting into a cantina getting everyone down and then introducing himself all right. you, you did a good job there you jumped right in i was like okay all right we're doing this right now <laughs> stuff. that's good 
Um, and I want to explore um, a little bit of, of what you said there with regards to some of the religious background there. But um, but before we start, so so Tim said that it, his favorite character was um, uh, the Mandalorian, or at least he's becoming his his favorite character. Um, that was going to be my next question, but since you gave it away early, that that's completely fine. So I'm going to ask you a question, Tim, and then maybe Braxton can let, let us know who his favorite character is and, and why, and then I'll, I'll share mine. Um, so my question for you, Tim, and then I'll ask you uh, also, Braxton, is what is one thing that you love about Star Wars in general? Not, not like a specific character, but just something of maybe the themes or the sort of movie that it is. What is one thing you absolutely love about Star Wars that that it draws you to, you know, those movies, those stories? And what's one thing you absolutely hate? Like, like, oh, man, I love Star Wars, but there's this one thing that really gets me annoyed. And you can't say Jar Jar Binks. Go ahead. Oh, man. Yeah. So what I love about Star Wars uh, would just, uh, you know, the, the classic story of good and evil. It gets good and evil right. Sure. And uh, especially in a day and age where everything is being confused with relativism and postmodernism and all of that. Uh, Star Wars gets good and evil uh, right. Uh, I mean, clearly, and and redemption uh, as well. So, I mean, seeing uh, the, the redemption of Darth Vader and Kylo Ren, um, or Ben, Ben, you know, Anakin Skywalker and Ben Solo, sure. uh, seeing their stories, you know, so good and evil and redemption uh, in general, along with as uh, what what Braxton already said. Uh, a supernatural element to the stories. Uh, that's what I love the most about them, I think. Okay, all right. And and Braxton, who's your favorite character? Uh, without question, Han Solo. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, all right. Han, so I was a big Harrison Ford fan growing up, sure. um, Indiana Jones. In fact, if there, I mean, I probably prefer Indiana Jones to Han Solo, even though I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Although in many ways, that's the same character set in a different setting. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, so Han is my favorite. And what I love about Star Wars in general um, is, and, and it sounds like me and Tim are on the same page here, is, yeah, I like, so one of the things that used to be true, so you have these stories that kind of serve as the myths of a particular society or culture. And um, if you read a great, there's a great Oxford published book by, um, I forget the guy's first name. The last name is Hunter. He's not related to me, but, but something Hunter. And, uh, and it's on, it's called how to change a culture or how to change the world or something like that. And it's fantastic because what he's talking about there, it's a Christian book. He's talking about Christianity, but he's talking about how cultures don't really change from the bottom up. Now, most of our evangelical leaders and probably the three of us too, many times preaching and teaching will say, you know, we need to reach the world for Christ. We need to, um, the, the way we're going to change America is, is to see people come to Christ. That's the most important thing. And of course, for our personal evangelistic strategies, that is the most important thing. But cultures really change from the top down more than they change from the bottom up. That's why it is that the majority of middle America didn't want uh, biological evolution taught in the classroom, but yet it's taught in the classroom in their county. Why is mm -hmm. that? Because these things change from the top down. Um, the majority of Americans were not on board with um, same-sex marriage, but but it changes from the top down because the people that are making the entertainment, the music, the policies, um, those kind of people are the ones who really impact and shape a culture. And so all that to say, we have these cultural myths and Star Wars is one of our most beloved cultural myths. We all grew up with it, at least people from our generation and younger, and maybe even a couple of generations older than us and younger, they, they grew up on Star Wars. And so as a result of that, it becomes a part of how we look at the world, even though we would never think about that. So, um, so and what, what Tim said is absolutely right. So you had 
Um, the good side, the dark side. You had, I mean, you you had Luke Skywalker, who was the, um, as much as he sounds whiny sometimes, I wanted to go to Tashi Station and pick up some power converters, but he's still very much the, the good. He, he represents what is pure, what is undefiled, what is good. And Darth Vader is the most perfect expression of an evil, menacing villain, even more so the emperor, you know, yeah. and you, you have all of that. And it's very clear. The lines are very clear. Now, the, the criticism of that is obviously that, well, yeah, but that's not how the world is. I mean, in the world, there are people that are complex and there's some good and bad in all of us. Yes, but in the cultural myths that we tell ourselves, it is very good for a culture to have a clear good guy, bad guy setup because we want it. We want to that way we can aspire to be the good guy. I want to be Luke Skywalker. I want to be the good guy that saves the day and I don't want to be the bad guy. And so that's very, very important. And, and I'll, I'll hush after this, but I, I just feel like we're having to take offering now. We're about to get somebody just play just as I am without one plea. And we're going to have an altar call, but, but, but real, real quickly, what is happening today is what we're seeing is take the Disney movies, the non-Star Wars Disney movies, like the fairy tale movies. What we have there is um, very much. Uh, most of the stories are your parents don't understand. I mean, think about Ariel and the Little Mermaid. Your parent, your dad doesn't really understand. Or in Moana, your parents, they just don't get it. They don't understand. Follow your heart, um, even if it means going against what your parents want, because they don't get it. And the villain is not really a villain. The villain is just misunderstood. Now, obviously that can happen, but what it does is it destroys that important cultural myth that becomes a part of the fabric of who we are that no, there's good guys and bad guys. We want to aspire to be like the good guys, not like the bad guys. Hmm. Well, now you said something that I thought was interesting and it reminded me of a line from a movie, not Star Wars. It was from um, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, that old movie from the seventies. Uh, you ever see that movie? I don't think so. Okay. There was this really cool yeah, line that I thought was profound, but then you said something that kind of seems to contradict it, um, which is fine because it's just a Jesus movie. It wasn't a quote from scripture where when it was talking about the Roman Empire and the, the people who are subject to them um, and, and the mission that Jesus was doing was not so much to overthrow the, the top, right? He said that before kingdoms change, men must change. Hmm. And when he said that, I kind of always saw that as kind of a changing society from the bottom up. But you suggested that society changes from the bottom, uh, from the top down. Do you think that there is a sort of balanced way of looking at that, that depending on what it is, society can change from the top down, but in, so in some other areas, uh, the change really, you know, real change comes from the bottom up? Yeah, well, I don't think, I think, uh, so there's the ideal, what we think should be the case. And I think most, as I said, most of our evangelical leaders from Chuck Colson to, you know, in the eighties, uh, to Jerry Falwell, to every, you know, they would all say, Hey, we got to reach America and change America by reaching people for Christ. Well, amen to that. That should be our goal as Christians. That should be how we, uh, seek to do it. But the reality is it just seems to be a fact about world history that when you see a paradigm shift in a culture, not individuals, but in a culture um, that that comes from the top down. But here's what has to be the case. You have to have uh, you have to have the, the movement at the grassroots available if someone or several someone's at the top is going to catch wind of it. This mm. is exactly what happened with Christianity and whether, you know, whatever good or bad we want to say about what happened with Constantine and all of that. It was a change at the top that then threw Christianity onto the world stage in a way that it never had been before. Mm -hmm. So that, and that's of course, something that the guy in the book goes into as well. So, you know, it's just like with, um, you know, Jesus saying, you've heard it said, um, th that, uh, 
you know, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if someone strikes you on your one cheek, turn your other cheek to him also. Jesus wasn't going against Yahweh and saying that the courts, like the actual court system, shouldn't dispense precisely the kind of justice that they dispense. It's just that he was saying interpersonally, if you're one of my followers, you don't have to uh, turn someone into the courts and you don't have to get that sort of vengeance. So there is this governmental, higher level societal uh, institutional change that affects the culture. And then there's this grassroots level. And we as Christians, I think, should impact both if we can. It's why um, I, I want to see Christian movies and Christian books be better than they are. Um, and of course, it brings to mind that C.S. Lewis quote that we don't need more Christian books and Christian. He wouldn't have said Christian movies, but Christian movies. What we need are more good Christians, Christians making good books and movies. Yeah. And uh, so because that impacts culture. So the, the grassroots has a role to play in being there and being present so that people at the top can be impacted by it. And then you see the top down change. Yeah. That's very good. Very interesting. Um, all right. Now I want to share real quick, my favorite character and why, and then I want to ask Tim something that I've always admired him for, uh, with regards to how he writes and how he words things and how he comes up with, uh, some very creative, uh, and interesting ways to make, um, his articles, uh, Braxton, can you hear Eli? Uh, no, but I can hear you. Okay. We're here. <laughs> Eli froze up. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess until he comes back, we could have our own conversation about Star Wars. <laughs> or we could just talk about Eli behind his back. <laughs> That's right. So did you actually say what your least favorite thing about Star Wars is? I don't think I did. I guess uh, I can talk about that. Probably my least favorite thing about Star Wars is The Last Jedi. Mm. Um, that movie really... Uh, made me sick to my stomach <laughs> for a while. It left a really bad taste in my mouth. And uh, actually, you know, I, I, I contemplated not even liking Star Wars anymore <laughs> because wow. it, it just rocked me because uh, Luke Skywalker had always been my favorite uh, character. And I, I think there's still something uh, going on <laughs> with me today. The reason why I say the Mandalorian has become my favorite is because he hasn't let me down yet. But uh <laughs> Man, uh, John Favreau and his team uh, talk about redemption. Maybe uh, Luke Skywalker has been redeemed as well um, with their, their last uh, episode of The Mandalorian. But yeah, maybe my hopes were set too high for The Last Jedi. But, you know, there, there was some good parts about that movie. I, I thought the lightsaber battles were awesome. Um, but yeah, the, I had a tremor in the force, to say the least, <laughs> when I saw that movie. Uh, because my childhood hero was Luke Skywalker. Everything that I that I'd been imagining about Luke Skywalker over the you know the past thirty years or so went down the drain during that movie, and in my mind, you know, uh, Luke had become the most powerful Jedi to ever live, and he'd mastered the ways of the Force, um, even surpassing Yoda, and, and more than that, you know, of course, that Luke Skywalker's confidence and faith in the Force would be so strong. Surely he'd be so strong by now that that he would never doubt. You know, the, the will of the force, as Qui-Gon Jinn put it all those years ago in episode one. But instead, what do we get in The Last Jedi? We got Luke, who is is now only lukewarm. <laughs> um, lukewarm Luke's, uh, uh, lukewarm Skywalker, we should say. he He's much older, but less mature. 
in the last Jedi, you Luke know? Warm Skywalker. That's Luke Warm, That's what we got. Um, you know, he's, he's still, he's worse than the, the whiny kid who wanted to go to the Tashi station to pick up some, ca- uh, power converters, uh, with his friends before his chores were done. I think that's how it worked. But, um, yeah. So in that movie, Luke Skywalker now in his sixties is still an immature and emotional brat who was leaping to conclusions that didn't logically follow. In fact, I, I thought the the Luke Skywalker of the last Jedi had regressed in maturity from the Luke Skywalker that we saw in return of the Jedi over three years ago. And yeah, why did this happen? Well, this immature Jedi master seems to suffer. Uh, and I wrote an article about this, about uh, that he's suffering from the emotional problems of the dark side of or the dark side or the dark side of evil. So we hear about the answering the problem of evil logically, but you also want to answer the problem of evil uh, with emotions in mind. Yeah. And Luke Skywalker was uh, suffering from the emotional problem of the dark side, uh, not the logical problem. And for a Jedi master, that's a problem. I mean, that's like, uh, um, you know, Dr. William Lane Craig suffering from the emotional problem of evil and forgetting the logical answers, <laughs> all the work that he's done on William this. Lane Craig is the Luke Skywalker we want and need. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, Luke abandons the Jedi Order and and closes himself off from the Force altogether in that movie. And uh, a friend of mine summarized the Last Jedi uh, in, into this kind of a parody. And so, imagine this conversation between Ray and Luke Skywalker. And so, Ray says, "So, uh, Master Skywalker." Are you are you going to join the rebellion and fight against the evil first order? And Luke is like, nah. And Ray says, well, that sounds like the exact opposite of what Luke Skywalker would do. And Luke says, not only is every word in that last sentence wrong, I'm also going to end the Jedi. Ray says, what? Why? Luke, for over a thousand generations, the Jedi were the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy. But then they screwed up a couple times, so I'm ending it. I'm closing myself off from the force. In fact, the force is dead to me. Ray, well, that doesn't make any sense. Luke, I was the one who screwed it up last time so that Ben Solo would turn evil and become Kylo Ren. So therefore, the galaxy is better off without the Jedi. People in the galaxy shouldn't even think the force exists. Ray, no, because without the Jedi, the dark side has an unchallenged champion, Snoke who has nearly destroyed the Republic. Luke. Oh, right. The dark side. I guess completely withdrawing from the forest was a really dumb idea. Maybe I should have joined the rebellion against the first, the evil first order, which would probably be much more within my character, the Luke Skywalker, who everybody knows. Oh, well, I'm old and grumpy now and absolutely nothing can change my mind. Then R2-D2 comes along and plays an old recording of Princess Leia. Luke, change my mind. Let's go. So anyway, it just uh, that's how I summarize um, The Last Jedi and really didn't like it. Um, I, I After the first time I saw the movie with my son, you know, we went at midnight. And I was like, I remember about halfway through the movie and I started thinking, I'm not really enjoying this. Uh, it's kind of dragging and I don't really like where it's going. This is weird. I'm sure they're going to fix it. And then it never got fixed. It seemed to get worse. And uh, he, Luke Skywalker then kind of dies, you know, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, the, the thing that's great about it, like, okay, so I have the same concern, you know, that the fans are divided over last Jedi. Right, right, right. 
I'm on the side of not a fan of Last Jedi. I thought there were several opportunities that were missed. I thought that everything you said was true about Luke, the way Luke came off and, yeah. and everything. But, but in spite of that, so in, um, in The Force Awakens, we have created exactly what we what you imagined of luke skywalker he's this messiah figure ray is kind of like when she first hears about him is he real like right. is there really right. you know it's like a that. myth it's a legend it's almost like jesus you know and we need right. this character to come and to yes. save us and deliver us and he's the only one that can and she gets there and the setting is perfect it's just mm -hmm. what we would imagine you know some yeah. mysterious island oh, yeah. and, and 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 when we see him somehow they took Mark Hamill the way he's been looking for the past couple of decades and made him look awesome. I mean, he looked <laughs> amazing. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you hand the baton, hand the lightsaber yeah. over to what's his name who did last Jedi and uh, Ryan Johnson. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's like, I mean, all this has been said before, but but even in spite of all of the bad stuff and the weird blue cow milk thing that looks like a Muppet and all that stuff, we we get to the end and it's like, okay. Because I was like you watching the movie. I'm like, this isn't... We've now taken half the movie to go to planet uh, prequels over here where everything's computer generated, this gambling planet. And, right. and when we finally get to the end, it's like, okay, now this, is, this could be good because we have... Luke Skywalker getting shot down by like 15 ATAT -AT walkers. That was awesome. <laughs> and yet he's walks out like yeah. it's nothing. Like, but then we find out he literally phoned it in. He wasn't <laughs> even there. And then he kills over of a stroke. Yeah. yeah he dies because he got tired or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. There, there were some good, good moments. Yeah. That going against the, uh, the ad ads there, those were, you know, I was freaking out. I was like, yeah, everything's going to get better here. Um, and then it didn't, uh, man, it, it, you know, what a wasted opportunity, but I did think, uh, the, uh, what was the third one? Uh, the third of the, uh, of that Rise of Skywalker. What's that? Rise of Skywalker. Rise of, yeah. I, I thought the last one was good. Um, and, I wrote, uh, yeah, I, I've got an article called Five Reasons the Force is Strong with the Rise of Skywalker. Um, I talk about redemption and the prodigal son. You know, again, we get to see uh, Ben Solo um, or Kylo Ren. Uh, and we get to see uh, his parents, you know, Han and Leia, their unconditional love for their son. And it reminded me of the, the parable of the prodigal son, how they'd do anything to get him back. Um, and their love for him never stopped, no matter how evil he became and they were constantly uh, going after him. Um, and, uh, you know, I, that part of the movie uh, and, and that trilogy with Kylo slash Ben uh, returning, leaving, uh, you know, as Jesus said in, in John 8 11, go and leave your life of the dark side. You know, that's the TSV, um, the Tim Stratton version. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, he does that and he comes back and he helps to help save the day. I love that. I also loved in that uh, in that movie, um, in the Rise of Skywalker, uh, the theme of adoption. Um, you know, and, and you see the 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 old lady at the end of the movie ask Ray who she is, and she says, "I'm I'm Ray Skywalker." You know, even though her DNA is related to the most evil person in in the universe, you know, Emperor Palpatine. She says, no, I'm Ray Skywalker. And then the force ghosts of Luke and Leia show up and, and approve. They give, give her that stamp of approval. And uh, Ray has been adopted into the Skywalker family. So, 
you know, adoption is one of the main themes of Christianity. It doesn't matter if one is red, yellow, <laughs> black, or white. Uh, <laughs> what, what? <laughs> I have no idea what happened. What? I, I, I like my computer bugged out. I have no idea. It was, it was like freezing up. Oh my gosh. The host because, of the show is back. Yeah. Literally yeah. We literally took over the show. That you see, it. it was God got angry because of all that heresy Tim was saying towards the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he'd punish you instead. Well, right. you know, I don't know if you could hear us when we were talking, but um, you know, the, he was just talking about the beautiful in, in Rise of Skywalker, the adoption. You, you were born literally of the most evil you know, uh, the emperor, you know, Palpatine and, and yet that bloodline, yet you're adopted into the Skywalker family. That's beautiful. And you know, there's another thing that I liked in Skywalker and it goes back to the evil, the good and evil thing that star Wars captures so well, at least in the Skywalker family, uh, saga. And that is because you do have like, uh, the, 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 um, anti-hero type thing with Mandalorian a little bit and um, and those sorts of things. So that those stories are there. And Rogue One has some anti-heroes and stuff. I mean, we I find out that. that part of the rebellion is is maybe a terrorist group. So um, but uh, but but anyway, did we lose him again? <laughs> well, what's he doing, man? <laughs> well, anyway, one of the things that's great about it is I heard this clip from I know this is a divisive character, but Jordan Peterson uh, Jordan Peterson was on Joe Rogan and he was talking about um, he, and I thought this was just so incredible. He said he was talking about archetypes and he said, mm -hmm. if you take everything that is great, if you take all the good qualities out of like the 10 best people, you know, and put them into one person, mm -hmm. well, that's like a hero. That's like a literary hero. And then he said, but now if you took all the literary heroes and take all their best qualities and extract those and not any of the bad qualities and put those into one figure. That's Jesus. That's mm. a meta hero. And uh, what I thought was great was that actually happened in rise of Skywalker in a sense, because in the end, I forget how they, you know, she channeled like all the great Jedi of the past. Right. And he's channeling all the Sith of the past. Mm. So you have literally the most evil archetype, at least in the Star Wars universe, and the most good archetype battling each other at the end. And of course, good overcomes. Yeah. And so, so not only is Star Wars already a great setup for that sort of thing, but, but it actually literally embodies that in Palpatine and Ray there at the end. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Makes me want to go watch the movie again. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, and that's some of the stuff there that people think is maybe not kind of goofy in Rise of Skywalker is the over the top nature of some of that stuff. But if, but, and I don't know, I can't say that like the writers were thinking that way about archetypes and stuff, but it is a great analogy. And, and maybe since uh, Eli is not here, uh, maybe we could, we could segue into that sort of a thing. Like you already talked about how, your mom used and your dad used star Wars to illustrate spiritual truths to you. And so, uh, you do that a lot with movies like the Avengers movies and stuff. And I've done that quite a bit too. Um, so clearly there's value in looking at the cultural myths and stories that we have that are the biggest and drawing these things out. So you want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, <laughs> With my parents doing that for me, uh, you know, shout out to my mom and dad, Russ and Suzanne Stratton. Hey, guys. Um, 
and my sister, uh, Jessica, you know, uh, we just grew up in that environment. I mean, my parents were uh, always reading us the Chronicles of Narnia or The Hobbit, uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, those books. Um, and then going to movies, uh, buying comic books and talking about them. Uh, that's just the culture I grew up in. And they did such a great job of whenever there was an opportunity to connect it to uh, reality, to connect it to uh, scripture, uh, they would do that. And so that's how I was raised. So it's kind of second nature uh, for me. And, and so um, although I love to uh, discuss the you know, and debate things of theology and philosophy when it comes to Christianity and things like that. Whenever there's an op opportunity to help people see, hey, if you let, if you, if you're, if you're watching this movie and you're connecting, let me, let me tell you why you're connecting to it. It's because reality is this. Um, and, and you, you share the gospel message, and then you see. I mean, every time you see a good story, I always say it's really kind of ripped off. Something's been ripped off from the gospel. Think about Thor, the first Thor movie. You could really summarize it like this. Um, uh, God, Odin, uh, sends his son, Thor, to Earth to uh, die and be raised back to life to conquer evil. I mean, where, where have we heard that before? <laughs> you know, uh, it's not a perfect analogy, but you, you, you get every good story is really stolen from the best story, which happens to be history um, in a uh, the gospel and the atonement of Christ. So, um, yeah. What, what, what would you add to that? No, I think you're right. Another, so I think that Christianity is the meta narrative of the history of the world. It's the best story. It's yeah. the best. It's, I mean, obviously we believe that it's true, right? It's, it actually, historically, these things happened, Look who it is. But uh, can but, I stay on my own show for crying out loud? I mean, some people complain about the hiddenness of God, but I think a much bigger problem is the hiddenness of Eli. Hey, I just want to, I just want to, I have to interrupt you. Thank you so much. You guys, see, I got the right guest. You guys love the topic so much. You could just go on and on. So I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm just going to, uh, if, if I don't, if I get uh, knocked off, uh, you know, you guys could finish to, to whatever your heart, uh, uh, you know, is content and then wrap it up for me. <laughs> if that yeah, but but Rack, you know, Eli, the last question you asked and what we're talking about right now. Yeah. So so like um, but 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 Christianity is a meta narrative, and Jesus is the greatest archetype of a hero. And of course, we believe that this, these stories are historically true. But but they're also they're also stories that capture your heart and imagination. And like you said. The bet if you if you're if you, because these stories are so enduring in the human experience of redemption and fallenness and mm -hmm. forgiveness and all these things that even though secularists don't realize that's what they're watching when they're watching the best stories those stories will parrot the gospel in some way I mean even like um uh, like you, you think about um, uh, well the dark Knight rises is a great example of, of a lot of these themes. And I think that was intentional in the, mm. in the, uh, the Nolan Batman series, but then also like even old stories, you know, uh, like, um, snow white, for example, you've got this, this, uh, character that eats a forbidden fruit. She, because someone tempted her with it, she falls into a deep sleep. And the only way that this can be overcome is a true love's kiss. And so this prince of goodness comes and, and provides that kiss that then, 
Uh, she comes back to life, so to speak. I mean, it's just in there. And in the original Snow White story, it's my understanding that uh, the the queen then has to dance in shoes of fire for all eternity or whatever. Oh, wow. So, so I mean, it's, it's, it's all, all of the great stories are going to some way parrot the gospel because the gospel is the story. It's the story of humanity of, of, of the world. Yeah. Amen to that. And Eli's gone again. So, yeah, but you know, you brought up Thor a, a minute ago, uh, Thanos. Th there's also good stuff in, in movies and literature and, and films like that will capture uh, philosophical or theological ideas, mm -hmm. even if we get away from the pastoral kind of stuff. Like, for example, if you're trying to explain to someone what annihilationist Christians like conditional immortality people like Chris Date might hold to, well, one of the things, one thing you can do is, is go to the Thanos snap where he snaps his finger and suddenly they wither away, they die. Um, or uh, for a long time in philosophy, when we talk about um, the, uh, when we talk about the notion that, and oh man, Eli should be here because he would love this, that if you try to go back to the most fundamental things you can know, uh, ultimately your human experience, like you have to, you, you have to look to, if you don't have this transcendent, uh, foundation of reality in God, then for all you know, yes, everything seems real, but how do you know you're not in the matrix? That's what everybody says. The <laughs> matrix becomes a great way of explaining things. So I just think that the, you know, movies are good illustrations for not just spiritual truths, but also theological and philosophical stuff as well. So Eli is trying to uh, send me a text here right now. <laughs> <laughs> he says, this shows up. Something went wrong. Please ensure you are connected to the internet. <laughs> so yeah, Eli sent me this text. <laughs> he's, I don't know if he's coming back. Yeah. Here, I'll, um, I'll give him a call. Well, while you're doing that, I'll, I see a couple of questions or interesting things yeah. in the, um, in the, uh, uh, in the oh, live chat. Yeah. Hello. Hey, hey, how's it going? Uh, if you got my text, uh, there's I think there's something up with Streamyard. I just got a uh, uh, it, it's, it's acting up. Never happened before, so I do apologize. Well, it just kind of adds to the excitement. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, I have no idea how long I'll stay in. So yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll appreciate the time we have with you as long as that lasts. That's right. Um, maybe, maybe you just need to make a, like a graphic of a force ghost for yourself to put up there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that'd be really good, actually. Yeah. Well, I was going to actually, there's an interesting thing here that is a good um, corrective as we're talking about these things. Angel A says a problem is happening in communication where we stress stories and our worldview, quote unquote, et cetera, but not, but yet not the actual most very real substantial God of our world view our story. Obviously, so what, what, you know, like a moment here, he's gone again, but he's, like I said a moment ago, um, what's that? Keep talking. I'm going to answer Eli's. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I said, like I said a moment ago, the story of Christianity is a story, but it's true. It's a true story. Right. And if it was a film, it would say at the beginning, this is a true story, right? We obviously believe that, uh, Jesus was a real human being, uh, the God, man, God incarnate, 
uh, but did this really happen in space and time? And that if we could go back in a time machine, we would see all of these things unfold in the death, burial and resurrection. All of those things are real. And so obviously we want to make sure that people don't just look to films and things. Those are mere analogies. What we want most is for people to become grounded in the word of God. So they know the story of the Bible itself and they, uh, they can go there. So that's a good, that's a good uh, thing to, um, to point out. She continues, you guys, he or she continues, you guys mean, but to outsiders, the difference is all the difference at times. Our worldviews uh, view does nothing. Our stories do nothing. The very real God of our worldview is the one that makes it so. Yeah, I, I know what you're getting at. And of course, we need to make sure that we that we stress the real story. These just serve as analogies and talking points. And in fact, um, I, I don't know if uh, when uh, when he'll be back, but, you know, there was a movie several years ago with Matt Damon called um, The Adjustment Bureau. And perhaps some of you all will remember The Adjustment Bureau. And the whole topic of the film was uh, obviously God or some godlike figure is controlling things. And the question was, OK, so to what degree and what kind of free will do does man have? Well, obviously, if you walked out of that movie, that's a good thing to talk about when you're talking about theological real theological matters i mean between the three of us here there are at least two different um views of human freedom but if you watch the adjustment bureau uh both of us both we and eli would say that we believe in free will we would just describe free will differently and that's of course been the subject of many vigorous debates between us and eli but that's something that christians hold to as some form of free will so a movie is a jumping off point to talk about a really deep theological issue like that. So I think that these, because here's the thing that you know for sure, you're right that outsiders don't necessarily have, know the gospel to the degree that hopefully Christians running YouTube channels do, although there's problems there too with some Christians running YouTube channels. But the fact is, uh, when you're out with your friends or you're talking about things in life, whether it's something that happened to you or a book you read or a movie you saw, one thing that we want to be good at as people who want to reach the world for Christ is drawing things back to that presentation of the gospel. And so if you are uh, able to do that from Star Wars or the Adjustment Bureau or um, uh, Snow White, then that gives you a door that might not have been there otherwise. What about the book of Eli? The book of Eli. Speaking of Eli, <laughs> um, Eli, by the way, I don't think he's going to be back here. So you and I can just uh, have okay. some. <laughs> well, it's funny you bring up the book of Eli, because I think that does. That is, uh, if I remember correctly, it's a post-apocalyptic world. Mm -hmm. And we find out by the end of the film that the most valuable thing they have is the Bible, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that movie came out a little over, it's 10 or 11, about maybe 11 years ago now. Um, yeah, because a year ago I wrote an article called uh, The Book of Eli, 10-Year Anniversary. And I talk about how it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Here's the, I just uh, got this up here. Here's the conclusion. I say, I love the book of Eli. In fact, I believe it's one of the best Christian movies of all time. I say the violence is sometimes graphic and the language can hurt the ears of a churchgoer. But this movie provides an awesome example of the importance of studying the Bible, memorizing scripture, applying the words of Christ to our lives, and ultimately how God's word can transform individuals as well as culture itself. After seeing the book of Eli, I made a commitment to read the Bible daily and memorize it as Eli did. A decade later, 
this commitment has clearly transformed my life. So I love the book of Eli um, and encourage people to see it. I, I actually do refer to it as a Christian movie um, in a certain sense. So <laughs> it's, it's well done. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of surprising that it got made, right? With that sort of a right. emphasis. Uh, I just want to jump real quick. Angel A said, is is saying that, no, that wasn't my point. Her point seems to be something like uh, the idea that we can't have um, rational justification and knowledge claims without God as the transcendental uh, foundation of all of, of, of knowledge and, and reality, you know, kind of a Vantillian or Bonsinian uh, uh, presuppositional perspective, which... I don't know where you're at on this, Tim, but I actually agree with presuppositionalists about the fact that God is the reason that we're able to know anything mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and that our ability to reason and all of that is. And I do agree that when the atheist um, uses rational argumentation to try and show that God does not exist, as Van Til said, it's like a child crawling up into her father's lap to slap his face. You wouldn't be able to slap his face if you weren't sitting in his lap, right? So um, I, I agree with all that. We have methodological differences uh, between uh, presuppositionalists. Yeah, my, my only, yeah, I agree with that too. Uh, the only difference is I, I feel like we can rationally conclude that that's the case um, instead of starting with that presupposition. Um, but but that's just, uh, but yeah, ultimately we're both agreeing that, that we, nobody could be rational apart from, apart from God. If we weren't created to, in God's image or likeness, uh, we, we couldn't do that. We so actually, uh, Tim, uh, someone, Stephen Revered said, Hey Braxton, talk about the castaway movie analogy. Yeah. Any news on that banned video of yours? So that video was banned and I actually wrote a, uh, article for your website, Tim, Oh yeah. um, on basically what I talked about in that video. And the, the reason it was banned was because I used footage from Joe Rogan. Now in, with fair use, you're allowed to use footage if you, from someone else's copywritten show, if the point is to provide commentary and there are several other little nuanced things about it. And uh, so it was banned. I could have challenged it. And the person's asking me, have you, have you decided to challenge that or whatever? I'm not going to challenge it, but I think I'm going to remake the video and just read from the transcript instead of showing the footage. But the reason this person is asking is if this is the person I'm thinking of, they told me that that video they thought was so powerful um, that they made actual paper flyers with that video link on it and gave them away to people during evangelism. Wow. And so what the point of that has to do with Castaway, and the point of that video was Joe Rogan and Sean Carroll. Sean Carroll's a theoretical physicist, mm -hmm. and uh, they were talking about, and he's he famously, as you know, had a debate with William Lane Craig. It's the one debate that some atheists, well, some atheists think that Craig loses all the time, but <laughs> the atheists that might have a case would be with the Sean Carroll debate. And I don't think they have a case there either. Uh, shout out to another article on your, uh, on your yeah. page. Uh, there's a, there's an article where someone else uh, explains why, why he won and why that, that is often misunderstood. Yeah, that, uh, let me look at that up here really quick. Um, yeah. So go, yeah, yeah, it's called Sean, Sean Carroll's dishonesty. The Debate of 2014. That's written by Ronald Cram, uh, April 15th, 2020. Uh, uh, if, if anybody out there thinks that Sean Carroll won that debate, go read this article and get back to us. Yeah. So, uh, but, but, but he was on, so that's the guy, Sean Carroll, and he was on Joe Rogan's show and they were talking about, through the course of the video, Sean Carroll ends up saying like, okay, look, it, it feels like we uh, have real free will, but we don't, but we can, 
basically live like we do and, and pretend is basically what he was saying. He also says, it seems like morality is meaningful, but ultimately people can't help it if they do something, you know, that we would call evil. That's what they were determined to do and they couldn't really help that. So uh, it's, we don't really have that kind of morality where we can choose to do otherwise. And so we're responsible, but we got to assume that we got to pretend like we do. And um, you know, he even says it really looks like the universe has things in it that are designed, but mm -hmm. we know that's not true. So we act like we don't and the multiverse sprinkle a little multiverse on it and don't uh -huh. think, much he doesn't say those things i'm caricaturing him but that's basically what happens and so what i said in the article on your site and in the video was it reminds me of uh the great tom hanks movie castaway which is one of my favorite movies of all time and everyone knows one of the most memorable things about that film is that he took this volleyball a wilson volleyball and put a face on it with blood and called it wilson and that became a character in the film but it wasn't really a kid. I mean, it wasn't a real person. And the only value that Wilson has is that he is an icon of sorts of real humanity, of real personal connection that Tom Hanks craves and that we all need. So you put a little, you put some eyes on it. Well, yeah, that's like we pretend to have free will, put a mouth on it. Well, we pretend it's designed, even though it's not. And at the end of the, toward the end of the film, when, when Wilson floats away into the ocean, Tom Hanks is crying out for it, but it's not real. It's, it's not a real person. And in the end it, that even though it was meaningful to him during that time, it's just a volleyball floating in the ocean, man. Yeah. And the thing is, if, if we really don't have morality, free will, if it's not really designed, if there's not really any intrinsic worth and value to people, we're just a volleyball floating in the ocean of the cosmos, man. Awesome. And nothing, nothing really matters. What a great illustration. Yeah, your article can be found on freethinkingministries.com. It's called Sean Carroll, Joe Rogan, and a Volleyball Called Wilson. You wrote that April 27th of 2020. And that's a, just a fantastic article. Encourage me. I, I tried to share it, but I realized I can't share it without Eli's uh, approval. And he's not here. And I see he just made a comment. Question. Why did God actualize a world in which I can't join my own show? <laughs> yeah, that, that might cause me some concern if I was Eli, but I'm here. So God wanted a world where we're here. Yeah. God created a world in which two Molinists would overtake his show. Yeah. That's, might, right. that's, that's right. He's thinking the problem of evil, you know, but yeah, Vera, I see Vera slam are in. These are all people that, yeah, no. And uh, thank you all for being here. Actually, it's funny because Vera and I'm probably going to butcher this Vera, but she asked in the Trinity radio uh, group on Facebook the other day, she said, I think it was during Christmas, she was in some cabin or something somewhere. And all she had was a VHS of Star Wars episode two. <laughs> and she said, I have never seen anything Star Wars. I'm going to start oh. with this. And so I said, OK, now, obviously, I love that film, but I said, Okay, here's what I want you to do. And I'm going to put this in intentional non-geek terminology. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, watch it until Ewan McGregor gets to the rainy baby factory and then turn the film off and go to bed and imagine that it just ends there. <laughs> <laughs> the rainy baby factory. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Because, you know, the the where the clone army is being. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. But, uh, but that's a great scene. F the fight between Jango Fett and... Obi-Wan there is really, really great. I think yeah, but, yeah, that was after good. that, it gets a little wacky at times. And I, but she comes back and she says, okay, I never saw a rainy baby factory, but I saw master Yoda die. 
I saw um, a young Darth Vader flying a boat in space. And I'm like, I don't know what you saw because <laughs> young Darth Vader flying a boat in space is episode one and Yoda dying is Return of the Jedi. I don't know what you saw. <laughs> she said she found the rainy babies. Yeah. So, okay. So Braxton, what's your favorite Star Wars movie out of all of them? Um, I think I'm going to sound pretty predictable here and say empire is yep. probably my favorite. I agree. Um, go ahead. I'm so, uh, well, wh which is partly what's why I'm upset about last Jedi, because if you do take the jumping off point from force awakens as, okay, we're kind of in some way following, um, mm -hmm. a, a kind of a narrative, a, a kind of a story, uh, you know, we're, we're, it's kind of following what happened in the first trilogy. Like Force Awakens obviously borrows a lot from from episode four. Right. Maybe too much. Yeah, maybe too much. That's the criticism. I still um, loved it. Yeah. And so if you think about that and you think that Last Jedi is supposed to be like Empire. Whew, right. I mean, you know, but uh, that and and I really liked Rogue One as well. Yeah, but that. I have. But but now that the problem there is. Uh, Rogue One doesn't, you know, this good and bad, clear lines of distinction that we've been talking about. That's for the Skywalker saga. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily extend to Solo or um, Mandalorian for sure or Rogue One. But taking that out of the equation, those are great. I, I enjoyed even Solo. I know it didn't get a lot of praise, but I like Solo. Do you think that, I mean, I kind of feel like there's a, a good and evil in the Mandalorian. I know uh, uh, that got blurred a little bit and it started out kind of blurry, but I mean, he seems to have really kind of turned a corner as he's become uh, a father figure. He's, he's become very pro-life. That's for sure. <laughs> and, uh, and adopted uh, the child. Um, you see him go from somebody who's willing to slice somebody in half, even uh, you know, or, or to, to vaporize Jawas as they're running away, you know, to somebody who is then willing to fight, to save life later on in the, in the, in the series. Yeah. I mean, we do see in the beginning of season two, the first episode of season two, we see him string up the guy who runs that True. and leave him there for whatever creatures to devour. Right. So that was very yeah, much, he, he was a, he was a bad guy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he deserved it. Right. He deserved yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but but I mean that was a very much an anti-hero move. But yeah, you might have a point there because we are he does have a story arc mm -hmm. that we see him as very much a hardened bounty hunter okay. who then when he discovers this seemingly supernatural special uh child uh becomes someone who wants to protect that. And uh so there may be a and, and he meets Luke Skywalker, who is arguably meant to be the the messianic character in the Star Wars right. films. But um all that's I can't believe I'm talking about this on a live stream. This sounds like I'm the, the crowd that I'm used to talking to, they'll let me do a little geek stuff, but I feel like I'm going way too far here. But this is what I was asked to do. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh but 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 I'd still think with the introduction of Boba Fett and um and that sort of thing, uh it seems like we're we're capitalizing on the anti-heroes in the Star Wars universe, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. I see uh, Mando and Boba Fett as two completely kinds of people. Uh, yeah, they're, I mean, I think uh, Mando is the John Wick of the Star Wars universe. 
Um, but at the same time, I mean, you see there's, there's, there's clearly instances where he needs help. Um, but Boba Fett, I mean, he, he's kind of like the bad guy that you're, you're rooting for. I, I just don't see Mando as, as a bad guy. Um, I mean, do you, I don't think it, we can say he's a bad guy, Yeah, but that's kind of the point, right? I mean, it's like he, he's imperfect. We can right. say that. He's morally imperfect, which that, you know, the anti-hero narrative for more grown up care, you know, uh, viewing, I guess, um, has, a, a has a thing to it too, because we're imperfect. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there is a, there is something there when I talk about, and when you talk about the clear good and evil in the star Wars saga, those films, those official star Wars, Luke Skywalker storyline or Skywalker storyline films, are the are the cultural myth um the mandalorian is is maybe it's in that category too i don't know but i, I think of it more as an anti-hero i don't think he's a bad guy i think mm -hmm. he's an imperfect guy yeah. yeah well i've got uh got an article i wrote called 10 reasons why the mandalorian is my favorite star wars character i'll just run through these really quick number one love the original vibe you know uh Favreau and friends were able to get to the original vibe of uh, th that first movie. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of that sci-fi old West thing uh, that, that they, that Lucas had going on. And I, I feel like uh, Favreau understood uh, he, he, he might, some people have said that he understood, he understands George Lucas's vision better than Lucas understood it. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. And on paper, I mean, John Favreau, um, on paper, okay, who is the cool, like, if you asked a hundred real Star Wars geeks, who is the coolest character? You're going to get a lot of people answer Boba Fett. Yeah, right? I agree. So he took basically the look and feel of Boba Fett, which is a Mandalorian, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and, and made him look maybe even a little bit cooler, right? Or at least newer and fresher. Right. And, and then introduced a super cute character um yeah. and and it just all it just all it seems like all the right obvious moves to make if yeah. you're going to do a a side quest you know from the but but you know it's like i saw that meme i think that meme's so great and uh we're not saying anything about the consumption of alcoholic beverages here that's not the point i was raised to believe growing up that tasting alcohol was akin to assassinating the president but <laughs> right. um but but uh it's like he, there's that meme that that has J.J. Abrams saying, uh, you can't make a Star Wars thing that both satisfies the old fans and yeah. brings in new fans. And John Favreau's there going, hold my beer. <laughs> Man, Favreau is uh, just a genius. I mean, um, what what else he, has he done? You know, uh, Favreau, I, I've called him a storytelling genius who should uh, be the, the only one allowed to pilot the star Wars cockpit, you know, everything that he touches seems to turn to turn to gold. He, he directed the elf movie and it instantly became a Christmas classic. He launched the MCU, uh, you know, the Marvel comics universe with iron man yeah. and has now decided to, you know, like you said, hold my beer, let me save the star Wars franchise. So, uh, man, I, I love the guy. I think he understand he, maybe, Maybe he's the C.S. Lewis <laughs> uh, storyteller of our day. I don't know. Um, don't tell C.S. Lewis that, but I'll yeah, tell you, yeah, yeah. But he I'll, gets it though. He gets it. He does, and and I'll tell you. Maybe we need to close this out soon. But one thing we didn't talk about is 
okay, so we have what happened in The Last Jedi, basically, for me and you, anyway, really tarnishing our our Luke Skywalker hero vibe, right? Yeah, right. But then we have in the end of Mandalorian season two. Oh yeah. The return of Luke Skywalker. And for those that don't know who are just here, cause you know us, Luke Skywalker after the original trilogy that ended in the eighties, yeah. um, he's, he's still youngish, right? He's not Mark Hamill today. Right. Um, and he's, and we don't know what happens. We know, we knew when people like me and you probably read the Star Wars books, mm -hmm. but now that Disney has said no more to those, um, that's not canon anymore. Right. We don't know what happened to, to Luke Skywalker. And here he shows up mm -hmm. and he's everything we hoped he would be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that That's why I said, uh, I kind of felt like Favreau was saying, all right, Ryan Johnson, you had your fun. Let me show you the Luke Skywalker that everybody knows, including Mark Hamill. I mean, this is the Luke. This is the Luke Skywalker that even Mark Hamill knew was supposed to exist. And so Favreau says, "Hey, even though I'm writing about Mandalorians here, let me save Luke Skywalker. Let me let me yeah. redeem Luke Skywalker." So uh, again, I, I just um, another reason as to why the Mandalorian is uh, not just my favorite character now, but the the series is just so awesome because John Favreau and friends, they understand what star Wars is supposed to be. Uh, they grew up uh, not just as, as fans who loved these characters just as much as you and I did. And uh, they, they know what they're doing. Um, it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder because for those that haven't seen it um, in rogue one, they did this and they did this in the final episode of Mandalorian for season two is they used that, uh, I think they call it deep fake technology to yeah. map uh, Mark Hamill's face right, onto right. this younger character mm -hmm. so that it is almost mm -hmm. indistinguishable. And, and if you weren't looking for it, like if you didn't know, you probably wouldn't raise any eyebrows. Right, at right, it. Right. It's real. It makes me wonder, are we going to see more of the original characters Ooh. in their own series? Mm. You know, oh. like Luke and Leia training to be Jedi or whatever. I don't Dude. know. Man, I wish Eli was here because I know Eli was geeking out during uh, the, the final episode uh, of season two of The Mandalorian. You know, when that X-Wing fighter uh, came to the ship, I was like, all right, big deal. Uh, we've seen X-Wing fighters before. Uh, you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't freaking out yet. And then I saw somebody get out and he's wearing a cloak. And I was like, hmm, that kind of looks like uh, Luke Skywalker's cloak from return of the jedi but it's not I, I thought it's just some jedi uh or somebody looking like a jedi not a big deal then i see a lightsaber then i see a, a green a, lightsaber a green lightsaber and i was like they're they're messing with us right now but yeah. it's not luke skywalker then you get a, a quick uh quick glimpse of the jet or you know the guy in the cloak with the green lightsaber you see his belt buckle now i'm an artist i grew up drawing pictures of luke skywalker and boba fett and all these guys all the time I drew that belt buckle probably a thousand times. And I was like, oh, that's Luke Skywalker's belt buckle. I mean, if they're messing with us, they're going above and beyond just to mess with us. And then it showed his hilt of his lightsaber held by a gloved hand. And I paused it and I got up. I was watching it over the lunch hour by myself and I got up and I was just freaking out. And, uh, you know, I think I was, I, I was starting to cry tears of joy at this point. And, uh, and I thought, well, okay, this is so awesome. It's clearly Luke. 
And you see him using his powers the way you knew that Luke would use his powers and uh, how he would use the force. But I thought, well, okay, this is great, but they're not going to show his face, but I, I don't care. I don't need it. And then when he starts to pull his cloak down, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to pause it. I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was totally holding back tears of uh, even more joy and felt like I was 10 years old again. And uh, you would have been, how old were you uh, when the first Star Wars came out or when Return of the Jedi came out? Uh, what year was that? That was 80, 83. 83. So I was two. Oh man. So, so. So, uh, yeah, I was 10 years old. I was in fifth grade when Return of the Jedi came out. But, you know, um, the, the, the joy that you had at that, imagine all of that feeling, because this was my experience. I'm watching that. My wife and two daughters are sitting over on the couch who care nothing about, Mm -hmm. about this. Yeah. And it's right at that penultimate moment where he's coming through and down and I'm just like you, I'm, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. They're going to do it. Are they doing it? They're doing it. And then all of a sudden my family thinks it's a good time to start talking about some mundane detail of life. And I'm like, do do you all not realize what's happening? It's like, but anyway, uh, well, listen, we we've talked about a lot of this stuff. It's probably time to close this down. I think we should dedicate this stream to the memory of Eli Ayala, who once ran this channel. Um, but uh, but I think in the end, I, I don't know what you want to say to, to kind of close it off. But I would just say that um, we are all Star Wars geeks. So part of the fun of this is just us geeking out on a live stream about a topic that we don't usually get to talk about yeah. to this degree like this. But also, it really is true that we that these are um, things that are out there in our culture there's a lot out there that can't that that is hard to redeem because it's just explicit and and this is something that families watch kids watch and you know a lot of people who watch this stuff even if you don't think you do and there are analogies to draw there are ways of 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 helping people to see the beauty of number one, a world that includes the supernatural because it's more real because that's the way reality is and drawing analogies uh, for today. Obviously Star Wars is imperfect. There've been a lot of people um, who point out that it dropped the fact that it draws from other world religions tarnishes it to the point that Christians should have nothing to do with it. But um, I I don't think that necessarily needs to be the case because that's a good moment to talk about uh, those things. So I just think that there, the, the overwhelming message that I think Eli wanted to get across with all of this is there is spiritual benefit from drawing from the stories of our day to illustrate the faith that we know is so real. And mm-hmm. I think that's important. Tim, what do you have to say? I'll just add to that, um, you know, that, that we can take these stories and, and uh, use them as analogies or illustrations. And and w- with that, consider the Mandalorian's daily commitment to his armor, his daily commitment. You know, Mando's always focused on his armor. He's constantly looking to strengthen the armor he wears. You know, he wants the best scar. He wants the best stuff. Uh, and, and, and he's made a commitment uh, to, you know, almost never anyway, take his helmet off around others. Uh, and, you know, Christians are commanded to do the same. We We've got to guard our hearts and minds uh, with um, with the, what God has given us that's even better than Mandalorian Beskar armor. Uh, we got to guard our hearts and minds with the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. And we must make that same daily commitment a lifestyle um, because there's always a war if you realize it or not. 
uh, you're, you're targeted by the enemy every single day, an enemy who hates you. So with that in mind, consider the sixth chapter of Ephesians, um, Ephesians 6, 13 and on. Uh, Paul says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. And so this is the spiritual armor. And, you know, I, I've used uh, the Mandalorian's commitment to his armor to help uh, other Christians uh, make that same kind of to, to see the importance of um, that lifestyle and that, you know, of, of being in a war. You need to protect your head and your heart and uh, and know the truth. It's really knowing truth and taking um, uh, thoughts captive uh, to obey Christ and before they take you. So I'll just leave it with that. Amen. And- I'll let you have the last word. What's your favorite Avengers character? Oh, man. I'd have to say Captain, Captain America. Captain America. I knew mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't actually know how to close a stream that somebody else is running. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I think what we'll do is, I guess you and me, Tim, will just log off and leave it to Eli to figure that out. But I want to thank Eli for having us on. Yeah. Um, this has been fun and uh, and maybe a unique sort of thing. And um, I hope it gets a lot of views just because it's fun and, and different and not like all the other theology and apologetic stuff out there. That's right. You know, and uh, when Eli called me, he said, maybe uh, the two of us can uh, join him again in another uh, few weeks and uh, we'll do a prequel. Yeah. Do a prequel <laughs> to this. <laughs> yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. All right, brother. Well, always good to talk to you, Braxton. And it's always good to talk with Eli. So really bummed that he wasn't here for most of it, but Uh, We'll do it again soon. All right. See you guys. May the force be with you. I think I'm on now. Let me see here.
Thank you very much for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer um, on one of our podcast episodes, please feel free to send in your question uh, at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Thank you.